Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. <laughs> Slam a couple raw eggs. Oh, we got some country sausage. What would happen if you microwave an egg? I've never done that. What? Could we microwave an egg and see what happens? Yeah. They teach you in, uh, when I was at Kingsley, when we did facts, and we did the cooking portion of it, they teach you how to make a egg, like a sausage egg sandwich, breakfast sandwich, and microwaving the egg. Hmm. Interesting. I'll give you the handout. I only have one left. I get it? You get it? Yes. And since it's 7 o'clock, or 7.02, if anybody else is coming in or not, we get started. Not them work? No, they work. I got a pencil that I took from there. Yeah, cookies for the back row people. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so we're going to study the book of Acts. We'll talk about the book of Acts. I'd rather have this format anyway. It's kind of cool. Just talk. Um, Jared said he missed the last couple weeks. I said, well, we've only, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and we only got through eight. So we have 20 to go tonight. And it's the last week. So this is going to be a mega sprint tonight. Uh, so let me give you a recap real quick. Acts chapter 1, it talks about uh, Jesus, he gives the promise. He said, go to Jerusalem, wait, there's the promise coming. And then he says in Acts chapter 1, 8, you're going to be endued with power from on high, and you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and into the other most parts of the earth. Then he ascends. He says, I'm going to come back in like manner, just like you saw me go. That's Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost is poured out. So, the 120 that were there in the upper room, they're filled with the Holy Ghost. The 120 are listed in Acts chapter 1. Uh, well, some of them are, and then it says there are about 120 of them. So, they received the, the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God is poured out. Uh, 3,000 other people are saved during the Acts chapter 2 when Peter preaches his first sermon. And listen to this, because it, it ties to what we're going to talk about tonight. There were devout Jews there. In Acts chapter 2, from all over the world, they had made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. These were Jews that had been dispersed through all of the persecution in the latter part of the Old Testament and in that 400 years between the Old and New Testament. They're dispersed. So now here they are. They're Jewish Old Testament believers, and they experienced the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. These guys go back. They don't stay in Jerusalem. These are, these are visitors that receive this. And that's what's super important here. Um, just a cool fact, and that is, Jesus, first time he went to Jerusalem in his ministry, this was three years prior to that, and then his last time, right before his death, he goes to the temple and does what? 
Anybody remember what he did? Yeah, and he turned over the tables of the money changers. You know what that means? They were converting money to temple money. Converting money. Why? So they get paper doves. You got, you got guests from all over the world. So, anybody ever done a, a money exchange, a currency exchange? You ever done that? I went to uh, Canada once, and we went to this currency exchange, and for a fee, for a fee, they'll change your money from American to Canadian. And that's what was happening in the temple. They're changing their money, exchanging their money. So now, now you're a foreigner, uh, we'll exchange your money. And so business was being conducted in the temple, and that's what Jesus said. You're doing, you turned my house into a den of thieves because you're charging these people an exorbitant amount of money to exchange their money. I just think that's interesting that you tie those stories together and those people are there in Acts chapter 2. So 3,000 people are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they continued in the Apostles' Doctrine and Fellowship. Acts chapter 3 and 4 talk about a lame man. So here are these recently filled people. They go to the temple and they encounter this guy who's been lame. He's been there at least 40 years and he's given a miraculous healing. He walks and leaps and praises God. And as a result of that miracle, 5,000 people are now saved. Peter preaches his second sermon when they're like, whoa, what happened? Peter preaches his second sermon. This time, it's not two foreigners. It's the Jewish nationals. The people who were the ones that actually crucified him. Now you got both sets hearing the same message. And they said the same thing as that chapter 2. What, oh, what do we do about that? And there, 5,000 people are saved. Acts chapter 5. The Bible says that multiple people are saved. And then it talks about persecution that comes on the church. So they have this persecution. They, the, the disciples, I'm going quick recap of the first five weeks. So they've been skating pretty good up to this point. They're in Jerusalem preaching. They've seen miraculous things. They've had 3,000, now 5,000. Now multitudes of people have been filled with the Holy Ghost. And now there's persecution from the Jewish church. The Old Testament followers are starting to persecute them. They'd never been persecuted before. They are actually whipped, beaten, and said, don't do this again. Do not speak in the name of Jesus. And uh, they had to do something that they had never done before. I, I skipped one. Acts chapter 1, 8. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. Jerusalem and in the state of Judea and in the neighboring state of Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. That was the, you, you have power to do it. There, 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 and there. So they prayed for boldness. And the, the Bible says the place was shaken and they were filled with boldness. And I, I want to stop here because it's a, it's a dynamic point I think we all need to get in our spirits. You get the power of Acts chapter 1 and 2. Without the boldness, the power doesn't really do much for you. It gives you the ability to, but unless it's engaged, uh, it's pointless. It's like a light switch. It's not turned on. The power is there, but unless you engage it. And here they were, they were facing opposition for the first time since Jesus was taken away. Last time they faced opposition, they ran scared. 
They hid themselves. When Jesus was taken, they left. They fled the garden. They're like, well, I'm out of here. Like I told the story in that class of one guy. The Bible even says he, well, they grabbed his coat and he shed his coat and ran naked from the garden. Naked. <laughs> one of the disciples. Didn't, he was going free willy underneath that bed. <laughs> Oops. Sorry. <laughs> Edit that, please. <laughs> Yeah, so he's fleeing, and uh, that's what happened. They were, they were the last time they had persecution or oppression. They they, they uh, seized up and didn't do anything. So now they're faced with this. And I, I want to go to this because this is really cool. Ephesians chapter six, verses ten through twenty. And you've probably heard this. I've memorized it when I was a kid because I had to at school. A final word: Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you would be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body of God's armor of righteousness. Shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be able to be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And that's where I've always heard preachers stop, and that's all I have to memorize. But what... Paul writes after that is, is dynamic. He said, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. Verse 20, I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Just having the armor on being prepared to fight doesn't get you anywhere without the boldness. You need the empowerment and the emboldenment. Good? I mean, that's... It's not talked about a lot. We talk about the power, but it, I think a lot of people have the power and they're sitting on a church pew with the power tucked in their pocket. I've done it. I have a tendency to do it. I think we all kind of gravitate toward that because it's less confrontational. But we have to have boldness in order to engage the power that we have. Good. Moving on. Acts chapter 6 talks about food pantry workers. So the disciples were, were preaching and, and they're neglecting the poor. So they put in place these Holy Ghost filled men to run the food pantry. Of these men, one's Stephen and one's Philip. These are food pantry workers. And the Bible says that they were full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom and Philip... We'll read about him in, in a minute. But Stephen was starting to do wonders and miracles, and it got him stoned in Acts chapter 7. So people were jealous of this, confronted him. He gives a history of Israel in Acts chapter 7. At the end of it, they stoned him. They said, Jesus is, he said, Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah you've been looking for, and they stoned him. And we're introduced at the end of Acts chapter 7 to a man named Paul, or Saul, who was holding the coats of those that were throwing the stones. Cool? Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says, Acts 8 1. 
Acts 8.1 says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. The church had been stuck in Jerusalem until persecution came. Acts 1.8 said you're going to be Acts 1, 8 said you're going to be endued with power and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Acts 8, 1, it's kind of tricky, says they began to be scattered because of the persecution to the exact places that were mentioned in Acts 1, 8. Is that cool or what? I think it's pretty cool. So Philip, who's one of the persecuted, scatters, and after I taught this lesson, it, Josh Linton came up. He, he, he said, I don't know. This struck me while you were teaching. I don't know if it's right or wrong. So we, we hold Philip up and go, Philip, what a great guy. He's one of the pantry workers. He's a pantry worker guy. He wasn't a disciple. He was a pantry worker guy who was filled with the Spirit, and he scatters because of the persecution. I talked about in that class why Samaria was... Uh, regarded as second class. There, there was, it started way back in Kings when half, there was a civil war in Israel and one half went one way and one half went the other. The, the half that was in the northern part, I don't have that up, the half that was in the northern part, Samaria and Galilee, was taken by Assyria. And they began to intermingle, intermingle and marry. Uh, the king over that piece of land said, you don't have to go down to Jerusalem to worship anymore. We're going to set up a temple in Samaria. There was one temple that was in Jerusalem. He said, we're, we're going to forego that. We're not going down there anymore. We're putting one temple in Samaria. And as a result of those decisions to put a temple in Samaria and to intermarry with the Assyrians, over time, what, became, what was originally a confrontation and pastor, and I talked about this quite a bit afterward. I wish he was here because he explained it better than I can. But over time, it became just a, a prejudice thing. Uh, a hate. I mean, generations later, they still hate each other. And that's, you don't even have any validation for it. Somebody has to stop the war. We, we, have, we have that going on right now. Somebody has to go, I'm, I'm done fighting an old man's war. The Arabs right now, over in, in Iran, I heard this. When, when Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, they were like, we've got to stop fighting. That's what the Afghanis are saying. We're, we're tired of fighting an old man's war and dying because of a war we didn't start. And that's what was going on. They had this old man's war going on. And Jesus went through Samaria, introduced himself to a woman at the well, went to the city and dwelt there for three days. And they had great revival in that city because Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. Now here's Philip coming back four years later and four-ish years later, four to seven years later. And they have revival in Samaria and an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria are now the gut believers in all these. And that's where we stopped. I'm going to pause right there. Questions? Thoughts? A thought? Yes. It's kind of neat how a guy, and we can incorporate it into our lives, we talk about the boldness. He runs, so he didn't have boldness. And then he starts teaching again. So you can run, not saying it's good, but God's still going to use you to do work somewhere else. And it could be in the same place. I'm just saying. I'm glad you said that because I started to say what Josh said. 
and I didn't finish it. Josh said, I got this thought. What if Philip said, I'm going to flee to Samaria because I know they won't persecute me there. Nobody's going to go to Samaria. <laughs> I don't know if he went to Samaria because he felt led of God to go to Samaria or if he fled to Samaria to try to get away and thought, well, this is a nice, safe place. I don't know. But no matter what, God directed that. God used that for revival. You got, I wonder how many people, Jerry and you're in my group, how many of those people that are not living for God today? I don't know why. Sorry. I don't know why, but this just hit me. How many of them that aren't living for God today just they still have it in them and can't get too far away? I don't know. Our group, and some of them just scattered and don't, I don't know. I think about Cindy, who fled. But she said, she told me one time, she and two others were in a bar. Two, two people from the youth group that had that said they didn't want to live for God. They were in a bar, and they're talking about church. Because you, she said it's just in there, and it's part of who you are, your DNA. God used that situation. I think God uses, God allows things. God allows things, Jared. Jared was in, in my youth group. I remember you asking a question one time in Sunday school. Really? What's wrong with smoking marijuana, you said? Remember that? I, I don't remember. Come on, Jared! <laughs> Jared, you don't remember that at all. I could take you to the spot where you were sitting when you were out there. It was so devastating to me. Because you, were, you weren't asking the question because you really wanted to know. He was just being But, look what God does. And, and you've met people along the way that you can now impact. And you've got a gift in a ministry that you brought with you that you can now use to impact. So I think God allows some things. Allows persecution. I don't know why Philip went, but he was there. And great revival happened. All right. So, you see, I, I gave a handout. I don't know if I don't have very many copies of this, so um, you didn't get one. If you have time. You... So on one side... One side of this is the Acts chronological version. The other side is history version. What's going on while Acts is going on? I said this, and I've got it in my notes. I'm probably going to reiterate it in a second. Before I taught this class three weeks ago, I was living under the impression, erroneously, for 55 years, that the 27 books of the New Testament were written in chronological order, and one followed the next. You had the four Gospels. They're, they're, they're synchronized. They're all at the same time, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you got the book of Acts. And then you got Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all the way through. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's how they were written. Do you know the book of Acts encompasses all of those books that follow? With the exception of Peter and John. I don't know the time frame of Peter and John and, and Revelation. But all of those letters that Paul wrote, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Romans, all of those letters he wrote, he wrote during the book of Acts. What? Isn't that crazy? Yes. So the book of Acts is like a 30-year-long book. It's 28 chapters, but it encompasses like 30 years of real history. 
that blow your mind too? Yeah. It blew my mind. I'm like, how did I miss all of that all these years? So I asked Kira about it. She said, oh, I never thought about it. I'm like, whew, all right. A smart person didn't know. <laughs> so I don't feel so bad. But Paul wrote those letters, to, probably not to Romans. It would have been late at, right, right at the end of the book, but all the others would have been written during that time frame. Thank you, Jerry Ann. So this is just something nice to have. It's the chronological history, and it's got years, so you can see when these things happen. So now, now as so, so we've got you're under Roman rule. So you've got Caligula, who is the Roman emperor, starting in Acts chapter nine. Prior to him, it had been Tiberius. He was the emperor up until this time. So now we have Caligula. So Tiberius had been through all the Gospels in Acts chapter 8. He was in Rome, emperor in Rome, uh, 37 to 41 AD. Assassinated in 41 AD. I got some interesting things about him. Following the death of Tiberius, Caligula succeeded his adopted grandfather's emperor in 37 AD. He's described as a noble and moderate emperor during the first six months of his rule. After this, the sources focus upon his cruelty, sadism, extravagance, and sexual perversion, presenting him as an insane tyrant. During his brief reign, Caligula worked to increase the unconstrained personal power of the emperor. So in his short reign, he started off good, but did not end well, uh, so much so that in 41 AD, he was assassinated. They got rid of him. So during the time that we're going to talk about tonight, Acts chapter 9 and 10, Caligula is overseeing Rome. So all of this is going on during that same time frame. So it's kind of cool to tie those two things together, real history and Bible history, in my mind. It gives you some interesting context. We're introduced to Paul and Paul, or Saul, excuse me, I need to call him Saul, Saul's conversion. So Saul, we see as a scoundrel bad guy. When in all actuality, Saul is a zealous Pharisee. He was an Old Testament law believer. And he was zealous about the Old Testament law. And the fact that this Jesus was coming in, claiming to be the Messiah, he didn't want any part of it. He wasn't a bad person. He felt he was doing the right thing. He was trained under a man named Gamaliel. And Kira, I ask you to grab Acts chapter 22, verse 3. And Paul's talking about his teacher, Gamaliel, and he explains a little bit about him. So Acts 22, 3. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As a student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. So, he explains in Acts chapter 22, he's giving his testimony to Roman authorities, and, and he's, he's giving his credentials. And so, I, I was raised a Jew under Gamaliel, who they knew. Uh, I taught a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 5, and I skipped this portion because I want to talk about it now. In Acts chapter 5, verse... Oh, I actually had that, Kira. Sorry. It's the other one that I didn't have. <laughs> Acts chapter 5. I'll just read it. I'll find it here. Acts chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. Acts 5, 33 through 39. And I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture tonight. I don't usually, but I'm going to tonight. Because 
I just, I'm going to let the word tell this story in a couple of these instances. 5, 33 through 39. So in Acts chapter 5 is when they pray for boldness because they're being persecuted. And the Jewish leaders wanted to kill these guys. And here's what Gamaliel says. Paul's teach, Saul's teacher, Gamaliel. Acts chapter 5, verse 33. When they heard that they were, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up, one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. He had a reputation among all the people and commanded to be put, I can't even read because I can't see it, to put the apostles forth a little space. So send the apostles away. And he said unto the rest of the Pharisees, You men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as to touching these men. He said, Be careful. Stand down a second. For before those days rose up Thaddeus, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves. He was slain. And all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much of the people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it'll come to naught. But if it be of God... You cannot overthrow it, lest happily you find even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So those are the two references to Gamaliel. Sounds like a pretty smart guy. When they wanted to beat him or kill him, he said, no, wait a minute. If you're fighting against God, you don't want to fight against God. And if it's not God... It's going to be pointless anyway. It'll go away. Which is very wise counsel. So that's who Saul was brought up under. And the conversion of Saul starts in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read. I think I'm going to read quite a bit of this actually. So let me grab Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter Nine. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, starting at verse 3. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is a voice from heaven. He said, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, so he said, who are you, Lord? This voice from heaven. And the voice replied, I am Jesus. Jesus. The voice from heaven, when he said, who are you, Lord, said, I am Jesus. I'm not God the Father. I'm not God the Holy Spirit. God is Jesus. He said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. And the men stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw none. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand, to Damascus. So Damascus is, oh, I've got this cool tool. I can pull it out. I don't get to use it very well. 
Oh, no, it's dead. That's working. All right. Damascus. Wow, it's not working very well. That's where he was going. Here's Jerusalem, way down here. He's going to Damascus. Scattering. Remember the scattering that took place? It's really started to scatter. It's all the way up to Damascus. So there's Samaria where Philip went. He was in Sychar, actually. And it's gone all the way up to at least Damascus. So I'm not sure how much time passed. The Bible doesn't say there. But, but Saul is going up to Damascus to grab followers of the way. Now there was a believer in Damascus, I'm at verse 10, named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias, or Ananias, whatever God's voice sounds like. Never heard it. It would freak me out. How many of you want to hear from the Lord? Might like in an audible voice. I'm always being intrigued by that. It might scare the living shit out of me, but hey. At least I can, oh. say, I can say it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> it actually was me. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Verse 13. Ananias, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers. This dude freaks me out. That's what he said, basically. Are you kidding me? This is the guy going around killing people? He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. We have a tendency to see people somewhat like Ananias saw people. It's easy to reach out to people you like and like you. This was a freak out moment for Ananias. <laughs> we have to lay aside all prejudice and fear if we're going to be valuable in the kingdom of God. This is a kingdom thing we're in. It's a kingdom thing. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, after this manner, pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. First thing you ask for is, hey, let your kingdom flow. In the entire New Testament, the entire New Testament is about the birth and the growth of the kingdom of God. And if we want to be a part of the kingdom of God, we cannot let prejudice impact that in any way. Or fear. It has to be laid aside, as Ananias was able to do in this case. Light and a voice. Ananias didn't want to do it, but he actually did the kingdom work. And Paul became a preacher. And I need to go pretty fast because it's, I see it's already 730 and I need to get through uh, several more chapters.
So I'm going to go pretty fast here. Saul returns to Jerusalem. He actually preaches a little bit and returns to Jerusalem to find the disciples. Now, I'm going to have to pause here for a second because you've got to think about this in real, real time. Paul, Saul, has just been persecuting people. He's, he's pulling them into prison. And here he is back in Jerusalem looking for the disciples, wanting to meet up with them, and says to them, Hey, I'm a brother now. <laughs> That's what they did. The exact same thing Rich just did. Uh-uh. No. I don't think so. This is a trick of some sort. You're going to play like you're my friend, and then when we're all together, yeah. yeah. But somebody that was in Damascus named Barnabas came down and said, hey, this is what's happening in Damascus. This guy found God, and, and he's been preaching it. You've got to give him a chance. And so the disciples actually took him in and gave him a chance, and he began to preach with the disciples in Jerusalem. And verse 31 says, and peace came. As a result, peace, now they're not persecuted by Saul anymore. Here's an interesting thing, and I am not going to go into this, but we now leave Saul in, the, in Acts chronologically. Saul goes away for a little bit. And Galatians chapter 1, verses, and you probably want to write this down, Galatians 1, 11 through 24. I was going to read it, but I'm not going to. What? You don't have a pen. That's right. Don't worry about it. Galatians 1. Galatians 1, 11 through 24. Just memorize it out. Thank you, brother. Galatians 1, 11 through 24. Paul starts out Galatians and he, he, he gives a little bit of his history and he tells about the three-year experience he had learning from Jesus himself. So he had this, he has this three-year experience that's independent of anybody else, where he and God, some, they, they make this connection. It's a three-year time period. While this is going on, we get to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, I was going to read this. I am not going to read it. I'm going to paraphrase this. Are you ready? So Acts chapter 10 opens with the scene of Cornelius. It's in Caesarea. Here's where it's at, Caesarea. This is where Cornelius is. He's a, he's a Roman authoritative figure. He's a, a Roman centurion. So he's got a hundred people underneath him. He's a leader and he's a devout man who's, who's accepted the Jewish faith. So, so he's, a, he's been here now in Israel for a while and he's been converted to Judaism. And here's this guy. He prays to God. He's a Roman. He's a Roman leader and yet he's praying to God and as a result, God hears his prayer. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send a man or send some people up to uh, from Caesarea down to Joppa. There's a guy down in Joppa I want you to meet. His name's Peter. While these men are traveling from Caesarea to Joppa, Peter down in Joppa is waiting for dinner, goes up to take a little nap and has a dream. And in this dream, a sheet comes down. You've heard this, right? All of you guys have been around church for a long time, right? A sheet comes down and it's got unclean animals. Leviticus chapter 11 will tell you all, about, all you want to know about unclean animals. But in this sheet, there are unclean animals. And the voice of God says, eat. He says, I'm not eating. These are unclean. This vision happens three times. And in verse 15, God says to him, says to Peter, do not call what I have made clean, unclean. That's when the guys knock on the door. And Peter goes, whoa, this is coincidental. Because they tell him what happened to Cornelius. And 
The boy said, go with these men when they come to your door. So now here's Peter. He's going from Joppa up to Caesarea, gets to Cornelius' house. Cornelius tells him the whole story. Peter tells his story. And while he's speaking, the Holy Ghost falls on the house of Cornelius. And they begin to speak with tongues and are filled with the Spirit. They are then baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's Acts chapter 10 in the synopsis. synopsis. And he's, I want to stop here. And see if anybody has anything they want to say. Jerry Ann? Al? Are we, yeah, you started to say something. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting, back to the uh, when Saul first came and they were like, no way. I think sometimes we have that same mindset. Really, can that person over there be saved? Not being prejudiced to saying, look at him, do you think God can say? And sometimes I think we run into that also in our own yeah. minds. And we wonder... Where do we get it from? Well, it's just our natural instinct. Alan! <laughs> I was going to stop there and talk about this, and now you brought it up. But I'll briefly talk about it because you, you hit on it. When he stopped him, he said, You see a persecutor. What I see is the missionary to the Gentiles. God sees what we can't see in people. There's no way we could see that in that guy. But God knows it's there. Uh, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop there because I keep going. But great point, Alan. Thank you for bringing that up. It, it's, people have a lot of stuff in there. They're probably Holy Go- dynamic, Holy Ghost-filled, Spirit-filled leaders, potential, drunk in the bar right now, down the street, Cadillac Jacks, wherever. That could dynamically impact the world. Somebody's got to reach it. And we've got to see him. We've got to start seeing people through kingdom eyes. Whew. Can I go on, or should I stop? Okay, I'm going to go on then. Acts. That's in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 11. Peter goes back. He goes from Caesarea down to Jerusalem, and he's he's explaining to the rest of the disciples or apostles what happened. Hey, Gentiles were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they weren't sure about this. They had some qualms about it. Acts chapter 11, verse 18. Acts chapter 11, verse 18. After Peter's done, here's what they say. When the others heard this, this is Acts chapter 11, 1 through 17. Peter's telling them what happened. And when they say, what? He explains it more. And then when he heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Then the scene switches, and I want to, this is what I talked about earlier, so I want to touch on it. In verse 19 of Acts chapter 11, it says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus... There's Antioch. Hey, it's right up here. Uh, And Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of those Gentiles believed and turned to God. So now we have a scene shift from Jews only in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria to now Gentiles, or people who are not uh, affiliated in any way with the Jewish religion, are now accepting and turning to Jesus. 
great revival. That was Acts chapter 8, 9, 10, 11. Now, uh, yeah, I think I should probably hit on this. I wasn't going to, but I'm going, I'm going to touch on it. Just touch on it. When Jesus was, a, he was eight days old, they took him to the temple to be dedicated. The priest picks him up, and here's what the priest said. And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, The Lord now, or Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's holding this baby Jesus, which you have prepared before the face of all people. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That was the prophecy over Jesus. It's, he, he didn't come just for Old Testament believing Jews. He came for the world. And now we're seeing that evidenced. Claudius succeeds Caligula in 41 to 54 AD. He is the emperor during Paul's first and second missionary journeys. He's died of po he died of poisoning by his wife in 54 AD. Almost all of the Roman emperors died of some tragic death. Uh, he was affiliated with a, or afflicted with a limp and a slight deafness due to sickness at a young age. He helped to restore the empire's finances after the excesses of Caligula. He was an awesome ambitious builder, constructing many new roads, aqueducts, and canals across the empire. During his reign, the empire started its successful conquest of Britain. I just watched a, a special on, on this. It's pretty cool. That now we're talking about this, how Caligula started to expand the empire toward the west. They'd, always, they'd been going to the east, well, to the east, from Rome to the east. Now he's expanding it to the west, to Great Britain, and the Roman, Romans didn't want to do it because they were freaked out by uh, Great Britain because it was like a creepy place. The Druids lived there. And they had to conquer the Druids, who, you know, the hooded Druids. You just look up history. Just look it up, man. Uh, Claudius. Claudius and, and the, there, right there. Do that again. We have a Druid in our midst. Uh, so he's referenced, Claudius is referenced twice. Once in Acts chapter 11, verse 28, and once in Acts chapter 18, verse Two, so Claudius is mentioned in Acts two separate times. Uh, Acts chapter 12, James, the brother of John. You had Peter, James, and John. When you were a kid, you sang that song, Peter, James, and John, a sailboat. Yes? No? Peter, James, and John, a sailboat. Huh. Well, they, they were the three that went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. That James. That James is killed in Acts chapter 12. And after he is killed, then they arrest Peter. He's next up. They're going to kill Peter too. Uh, this is an interesting story that I was going to read, but I'm not. Well, during the night, an angel frees Peter. This is Peter. This isn't Paul and Silas. This is Peter. He's freed from prison and walks out, just walks out. And they're having a prayer meeting because Peter's in jail and James has been killed. So they're having this prayer meeting about Peter being in jail. And he walks to the house and he knocks on the door. And he knocks on the door of this prayer meeting. Finally, this Lydia comes and opens the door and She's blown away that it's Peter, and she shuts the door back in his face and goes back and says, Peter's, Peter's not in prison anymore. And here's Peter standing outside, and he knocks again. Like, hey. So 
Anyway, it's just kind of an interesting story. I'm not, I'm going to give you a synopsis pretty much from this point on. So there are a lot of interesting stories like that. You'll have to dig those up for yourself because I'm not going to go into all those little stories. But it's, it's kind of a cool story. Uh, uh, as a result of, <laughs> well, I've got to tell you this. <laughs> as a result of this, uh, Herod goes and has the guards killed. The guards that didn't prevent Peter from getting out of prison. He's killed. In Acts chapter 12, verses 20, uh, i got to read it. It's just cool. Acts chapter 12, verses 20 through 23. I'm going to read it to you. Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's county, country for food. <laughs> the delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant. This is an Acts. And an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put his royal robes on, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, It's the voice of God, not of man. Instantly an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. <laughs> not a way I'd want to go, but that's what happened to him. <laughs> So now we go back after Acts chapter, um, what chapter were we in? That was Acts chapter 12. Now Acts chapter 13, uh, well, the, actual, the latter part of Acts chapter 12, all the way through 28, records Paul's missionary journeys. He took four journeys. Acts chapter, later part of 12 through 28, four different times he takes journeys, uh, missionary journeys. And they're recorded here. Uh, Acts 12 through 14 is, is his first journey. Acts 15 to 18 is his second journey. Acts 18 to 21 is his third journey. And Acts 27 to 28 is his fourth and final journey. Acts chapter 13 verse 9 says this. Saul was also known as Paul. Acts 13 9. Saul is also known as Paul. And from there after, anytime in Acts, he's referred to as Paul. He's no longer referred to as Saul. When he goes on these missionary journeys, he always went to the synagogue first. Why is that important? Because the synagogue is a place of Jewish worship. So he went to the place where the Jewish worshipers of the Old Testament came together. And he told them in his message, his message is consistent, the Messiah you've been looking for is this man named Jesus. Many turned, many liked it and accepted it, but many more did not like it and persecuted Paul. He was actually stoned twice, left for dead. They thought, it, they thought he was dead. They just left him. And he got up. The Bible says he brushed himself off and went back into the city. Uh, so as a result of the Jews not accepting his message, he turned to the Gentiles. Claudius was the, uh, the emperor during his first two journeys. The first one took about two years and a man named Barnabas went with him. So they started in Antioch up here, and they took a short journey. So they established some churches and some preaching points here, and then they went back through here. And when they were going back through, they set up church leaders. So they established the churches or, or made contacts. Well, then they went back through in this two-year period and established church leaders within those churches there in these Gentile areas. 
That's the first journey he took with Barnabas, the guy that was his witness to the disciples. He took him with him. Uh, Acts chapter 15 now, we have this great church controversy. This is, this is significant. Man, I got 10 minutes. Wish we had two hours. Great controversy because now you got Gentiles, uncircumcised people, who have now received God. So if they're going to be fellow believers with us, there's one requirement that the people in Jerusalem, the leaders of the church, said they're going to have to be circumcised. It's great that they're filled with the Spirit, but they have to be circumcised too. Paul's like, no, we're not going to make him do that. Read it in Acts chapter 15. After this great uh, debate, James, the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James, who is the leader of the church there, says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to make him be circumcised, but they they can't drink blood. Because Gentiles must drink a lot of blood. (laughs) I don't know. They can't eat meat or drink the blood of anything that's been strangled. Uh, I'm sorry. They can't eat. I mean, back back up here. Uh, They can't eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol. That's one. Then they can't drink the blood or eat the meat of anything that's strangled. So no idol meat. Nothing from an animal that's been strangled. I don't know if there was a culture that strangled animals for idol worship. I don't know why they chose that. But they chose that. And then the third stipulation was they must abstain from sexual uh, impurity. So three rules. Peter and a delegation from the church. So so they sent these guys along with Peter back up, Paul, back up to uh, Antioch to say, all right, here are the rules for Gentiles. And the Gentiles were like, "Eh, no problem. We, We can live by those rules. And so there was great rejoicing that that, that was a rule. Is that a circumcision? So <laughs> no, mother, no meat for idols? You can do that. Check. So that great controversy uh, was overcome, but it, it was the first of two major controversies this church, early church had. Um, Paul then goes on his second journey. Uh, the first journey he went on with uh, Barnabas, they took this guy with him named John Mark. John Mark is referenced as the guy who started with the journey, but the Bible says he returned. It doesn't say what happened, but he didn't go very far into the journey and returned. When they go to the second journey, uh, Barnabas wants to take John Mark again, and Paul's like, no, we're not taking him. He's a quitter. He wouldn't take it. I don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't say. It doesn't articulate. But Mark's the guy that wrote the book of Mark. He's a good dude. But Paul didn't want to have anything to do with him going along the journey. So you're not going to get along with everybody you go to church with, apparently. But you can't let that stand in the way of the work of God. So Barnabas said, well, I'll take Mark. We'll go back. They went back through the churches that were established in this red route. and went back through the churches just to, to visit them. Well, Paul takes Silas, who was one of the guys who came with the message that said you can't uh, eat meat, the, the idols, no blood, and sexual. He, he, he took one of those guys, and his name was Silas, and they began the second missionary journey. Uh, man, I've got to hurry. Uh, that was uh, 19 years after the death of Jesus, so now at 49 AD. They were gone for about two to three years on this second journey uh, during the time of Claudius. 
in Acts chapter 18, verse 2. You want to read that? Acts 18, 2. Just for fun, Acts 18, 2. If anybody has it, you can read it. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. How far? Just keep going. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Boom. Okay. So, Claudius. So, Jews out. Get out! Deported them from Rome, and as a result, he meets Aquila and Priscilla. Alright, so, now... I'm on my last page of notes. I've got six minutes. There were churches established during these, these missionary journeys. The first three, he established his church in Galatia, the major churches in Galatia, Thessalonica, Corinth, Philippi, Ephesus, and Colossia. And he writes letters to these churches during the time of Acts. I don't think you were in here when we talked about this. But the book of Acts isn't sequential. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, it's... All of those books, those letters from Paul were written during this time span of Acts. So he's writing letters to these churches he established. And we're going to get into that briefly. Uh, we have a new emperor that's on the scene now. His name is Nero. Maybe you've heard of Nero. He was not a great guy. Uh, he actually, during his reign, burns much of Rome and then blames the Christians in 64 A.D. Uh, there's some interesting stuff there. But he's the, he's the uh, emperor during the rest of the book of Acts from this chapter on. So this would be Acts chapter uh, midpoint 18 on. Uh, Acts 21.8. Read Acts 21.8 if you don't mind. This is Paul at the end of his third journey. I'm going to back up just a second. Oops. At the end of Paul's third journey, he, he comes back here to Caesarea, does all of that. It takes about three, to, in between three and four years, and he comes back to Caesarea. What's he find in Caesarea? The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. Isn't that cool? He talks about Philip, the guy that went to Samaria. Now he's in Caesarea, and, I mean, he's talked, he must be famous. This guy was chosen to be a food pantry guy. And he's dynamic. That'd be cool to be. He was just that guy. He was just a guy. But wow, look at him now. Look what he's done. I just thought it was interesting, so I wanted to throw it in there. All right. So Paul is arrested. He comes back, and he wants to go to Jerusalem. And they say, don't go to Jerusalem, because I wanted to arrest you. Here's why they wanted to arrest him. The Old Testament uh, believers, Old Testament Jewish, they wanted to arrest Paul. Because they said, here's what Paul's preaching. You don't need the Old Testament. We don't need the Old Testament law. All you need is Jesus. Read Paul's writings. That's what he wrote. You need Jesus. He didn't say the law doesn't have its place. But that's what they were saying. He, they were saying, you're preaching that the, the law doesn't matter. He said, no, the law has its place. But Jesus is greater than the law. It's 2 Corinthians chapter. 3 verse 6. Read this. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. And all through Paul's message, read them in the epistles. It's the law was great, but Jesus is greater than the law. 
What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17? Jared? <laughs> Alan? Matthew 5, 17, it's a Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he says this, I am not come to do away with the law, this is Jesus, but to fulfill the law. And then he goes on to say, here's what the law says. The law says, don't commit adultery. I'm saying, don't even look at a woman with lust. He said, the law says, don't uh, kill. I'm saying, don't even be angry. He's calling us to more. He's not saying the law is important. But he's calling, what his calling is is greater than the law. And when he gives us his spirit, the spirit tells me what is right. The law told me what is wrong. And so that's what Paul's trying to get his message across to these Gentiles. They don't have the Old Testament law. Think about this for a second. They don't have Old Testament law. They don't know anything about Old Testament law. It's like us. We don't have Old Testament. We don't follow the Old Testament law. Do we do ceremonials, cleansings, and, and all those things? Oh! Do we uh, mix our, our, our polyester and cottons? Ooh, that would be against the law. The Jewish law. We don't follow Jewish law. We don't. We follow the law of the United States, the law of the city or the, the nation that we represent or we live in. These people did too. They didn't have that law. But 